None of us sitting in this auditorium this morning are qualified to judge the heart of anyone else who is here to worship God this morning. And in many ways, if we're really honest with ourselves, I don't know that we are very much qualified, at least at times, to judge our own heart. As the Bible says to us, the heart among or above all else can be deceptive. But in my judgment, our worship this morning has spoken to the heart of this congregation. And I hope that your heart, that your mind has been drawn nearer to God and has been drawn nearer to the cross of Jesus Christ. I appreciate so much the songs that our brother Xavier chose to lead us in and the way that he chose to lead them and the comments that have been made at the Lord's table this morning. And Brother Kirk, I'm not in that category yet, but I know that that will come before too long. And even just sending our kids, our two oldest kids away to camp (laughs) this year was a little bit harder for me. And I know that's not going to get any easier. But as he stated so eloquently, to think about the depth of God's love, that God loved you and me so much that he willingly allowed his son to experience all of that for us. Well, if you were here at the first session this morning, our brother Gavin spoke to us from the book of Jonah. As he mentioned, it's probably among the minor prophets, maybe Jonah and Daniel, maybe a few others that we are fairly familiar with, or at least we think we are familiar with. And he took the time in that particular session to think about Jonah to give us a brief kind of overview of the book and of its message and to focus really upon God's people and who is supposed to be God's people, that we are to be like God. And Jonah, even though he was a prophet of God, proved himself throughout that little book not to be a person of God. In this lesson this morning, at this hour, it is my task to focus on just one major lesson from this minor prophet. And as we do that, I want us to think about What this book says to us about who God is, as our brother Gavin has already alluded to, if you were here a couple of hours ago, this doesn't, of course, this book and and really no book of the Old or the New Testament in and of itself would tell us the entirety of who God is. It would not describe for us the, the exhaustive nature of God, of the identity of God. But this book, I believe toward the end, at least in my mind, does describe the identity of God for us. And so as we reflect upon who God is for a little while this morning, we want to do so by thinking about the words that Jonah himself said about God at Jonah 4 and verse 2, that our God, his God, the God of heaven and earth is a gracious and a compassionate God. We're not really going to spend a lot of time in this lesson in the book of Jonah, but I want us to just take that particular description of God and and go several different places in Scripture to think about how uh, that has been the description of God for a long time in Scripture, how that is the description of God in the age in which we live, and then to think about who could be recipients or who does God desire to be recipients of His grace and His compassion But I do want us to begin back in the book of Jonah this morning. And so if you have your Bible opened there, or if not, to open to the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3, I want us to begin reading at verse 10 and read down through chapter 4 and verse 2. 
Chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible says, when God saw their deeds, when he saw the deeds of the the wicked Assyrians in the city of Nineveh, uh, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. As we think about this description, I would suggest to you, as I said just a moment ago, I believe this is a description of really who God is. This is describing for us the very nature, the very heart of God, if you will. And so we want to think about a gracious and compassionate God as being a description of God's identity. You you probably, if you have lived very long, if you have been a Christian for very long, you have probably heard a statement like this made before. And maybe even you have thought these particular words. Maybe you even said these words in your own life. But probably you have heard the statement that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. And the God of the New Testament is a God of love or something similar to that. that It's almost like somebody saying or thinking that particular statement that there is a God, one God, that is existing in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. And he dealt with the people, his own children of Israel in one way. And then we have a totally different God in the New Testament age, in the age where we follow Christ. And sometimes in our minds, maybe we, we have very, a, a lot of difficulty trying to reconcile who God is when we think about, if we think in those terms that the God of the Old Testament is only a God of wrath and the God of the New Testament is only a God of love. I believe as we read our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation, we find that God is the same God. He is the same God in both covenants. He is, as Hebrews chapter 13 tells us about Jesus, and Jesus, of course, being God, that God himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. We have learned a new song here in recent months that you do not change, one of my favorite songs. But but that is true about God, that God has not changed in the past. God doesn't change in our present age, and God will not change even in the future. And so sometimes when we come to the Old Testament scriptures and we do read, obviously there, we see displays of God's wrath throughout the Old Testament. It is also true that we see displays even under that old covenant of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. Because I believe, as I'm trying to get you to think about this particular description of God here in Jonah 4 and verse 2 this morning, this is exactly who God is He is a gracious and a compassionate God. How did Jonah know that? Well, I don't know that they even had all of the old scriptures put together at this particular time when Jonah was being a prophet or a messenger of God. But I do want you to notice this morning and be impressed with the fact that this particular description of God is not just found here in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. This description of God's identity is found all throughout the Old Testament. There are so many texts that speak of our great God as a gracious and compassionate God. I want you to just notice three of those very quickly this morning. Let's go all the way back to the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 34. Uh, This follows, of course, uh, 
the people of Israel, the 10 or 12 spies being sent into the land of Canaan to look at that land. And the, you remember the 10 spies came back with a very negative report and the people began to rebel against Moses and against Aaron, God's chosen leaders. And they say, it's just better if we go back to Egypt and we uh, enjoy in their mind all the blessings that they had in Egypt. And so in that, con in that context, um, I'm sorry, that is the next passage. This is here in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, where Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai and he has taken, gotten the law from God and the people have built that golden calf. And God is displeased about that and Moses is displeased about that. But notice what is said to us here in Exodus chapter 34, uh, beginning at verse six, as Moses is talking to God. Notice what he says. Uh, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. God here is speaking to Moses. God is appearing, has appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai. He has appeared to give his law to Moses so that Moses could give his law to his people Israel. And God is describing himself here in the same way that Jonah was describing God in Jonah chapter four and verse two, that God says about himself, I am a compassionate, I am a gracious God. And he is describing himself this way because this is who he is at his core again. This describes the very heart, the very essence of who God is. And I believe even though Moses and those first two tablets have been uh, thrown down on the ground and they have been broken. As God says here in this chapter, I want you to take two more tablets and write my law upon them again. That even as God was going to give his law once again to his people Israel, especially after they had really slapped God in the face by making this golden calf, by saying that, you know, here is the God that led you out of Egyptian captivity. That even as God is about to give his law to his people again, I would submit to you that that's an act of grace. That is showing to God's people, the Israelites, that God is who he really is, that he is gracious, that he is compassionate. Now, the second passage, which I was already thinking of in my mind just a moment ago from Numbers chapter 14. And this does follow where the, the 12 spies have been into the land of Canaan to see what kind of land it is. And the people are complaining about that and the people are grumbling and they're saying, there's no way that we can go in and overtake this land. There's no way that we can drive the giants out of this land that God has promised to us. Uh, notice what is said to us about God in Numbers chapter 14, beginning at verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the, to the third and the fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Here, here is Moses urging God to act and urging God to act according to who he is. He says, God, I, I know that your people have sinned against you again. I, I know that they are murmuring and complaining. I know that they are not showing themselves to be obedient, trustful children like you desire them to be. But he is pleading, he is urging God on behalf of Israel to act according to his character, to forgive Israel's sin on this occasion, to do that on the basis not of who Israel was, but to do that on the basis of who God was and is because of God's compassion, because of God's grace. Because of God's patience, His loving kindness, 
his faithful love to his children Israel, Moses is urging and pleading God to act upon that basis. And we didn't read this verse, but the very next verse at verse 20 says, So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. God showed who he truly was, that he forgave them. Did they deserve that? No. But God forgave them because he is a God who is gracious and compassionate. This description of God being a gracious and compassionate God is all over the Psalms, but I want us just for the sake of time to look at one of of those Psalms. So if you have your Bible with you to turn to Psalm 103, Psalm 103, and let's read here just a few verses from this particular Psalm, Psalm 103 beginning at verse 8. The psalmist here, David, writes, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Here is David, as he often did, thinking about God, thinking about his great God. And as he thinks about God, he is writing about who God is. He is writing of God's grace and mercy, not only that he had seen, I'm sure, evidence of God showing his grace and compassion to Israel, but he himself had been a recipient of God's grace and mercy on many occasions throughout his life. And he says that I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God because you have not dealt with us according to our sins. The idea there is David was thinking about God's relationship with his people as David was thinking even more personally perhaps about his own relationship with God. He knew that God did not give him or them what they deserved, but rather God gave him and them what they did not deserve. That there was grace with God, that there was mercy with God. And so as we think about this description that Jonah knew that God is a gracious and compassionate God. It was not a new concept. It was not a new idea. It was not something that Jonah came up with on his own. But Scripture describes God in that way time and time again. When we think about God, if you've ever stopped to just think about God, to just meditate about God, (laughs) your, your mind, it won't be very long until your mind begins to hurt It won't be very long until your mind is completely blown when you think about how good and how great God is. When you think, as Jonah says here very truthfully, that God is a gracious and a compassionate God. But since God is such a complex being, I think all of us, maybe even Jonah, but all of us struggle to some degree in some way to truly understand who God is. However, I would submit to you that one thing Jonah knew about God is what he says here in chapter 4 and verse 2 that God is a gracious and compassionate God. Now, as Gavin's already pointed out to us, he wasn't thinking, oh, God's a gracious and compassionate God. This is going to make my job easy. (laughs) You know, I'm just itching to get to Nineveh to preach this message of repentance. And if you don't repent, the city is going to be destroyed. You've got 40 days to make up your mind whom you're going to serve. He wasn't looking at this description of God from that vantage point. And yet still the things that he says about God, the words that he says here about God are very much true. This was a common description of God's identity through the Old Testament that he certainly is a gracious and a compassionate God. Well, while the Old Testament 
tells us that information that God is gracious and compassionate. It even gives us some examples as we've already looked at this morning so that we can see His grace and His mercy in action toward His people. I would submit to you that the New Testament gives us an even fuller picture, an even clearer picture of our gracious and compassionate God. Because in the New Testament, we come to understand that God has shown us these attributes in His Son, Jesus Christ, as Jesus came to be the fullness of God in bodily form, as the epistles tell us. For in giving us Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins, God, I believe, was demonstrating and has demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt who He truly is, that God is truly a gracious God. God is truly a compassionate God. And so I want you to consider a couple of New Testament texts that talk to us a little bit more about God's grace and God's compassion as He has shown it to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. The passage that's already up here on the screen from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, as Paul is describing for us here, all the blessings, the spiritual blessings that God has made available to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, beginning at verse 7, that in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Notice this phrase, according to the riches of His grace. You may already be jumping ahead in your mind to chapter 2, but I think Paul, what he says there at chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, really he's thinking forward to this discussion that he gets to here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, an ugly picture of who we were outside of Christ that we all made the decision to abandon God in our life, to go away from Him, to live like the world. But then this wonderful phrase that begins verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yes, as Paul begins chapter 2, the first three verses here. It's not only Gentiles who were dead in sin. It's not only Gentiles who were alienated from God. But it was those who were Jews. We've all made the choice at some point in our life that we were going to give ourselves as slaves to sin and to Satan. But although that was our condition, although all of us were dead in sin, notice that the Apostle Paul says to us back here in chapter 1 and verse 7 and verse 8, that God richly lavished His grace and His mercy and His love on us by forgiving us of our sins, by making those of us who were dead in sin, making us alive now in Jesus Christ to Himself. That word lavished is really the idea of God just heaping grace upon us. It's the idea of God was, was, was showing His grace and abundance to us. Because he knew that we could not be saved without his grace. That he is a gracious God. That he is a compassionate God. That he does not desire that any of us would perish eternally. But that all of us would accept his mercy and his grace as he offers it to us in his son Jesus Christ. And we will be saved. And we could live with him eternally. Think about something along these lines that the Apostle Paul also writes to the young evangelist Titus, at least younger than the Apostle Paul. 
In Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 4, uh, verse, verse uh, 3 is kind of like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that this is who we once were. And yet he begins verse 4 with the same word, but. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we will be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, when we were people, as Paul describes here at chapter 3 at verse 3 of Titus, when we were people who were once unlovable, when we were people who were disobedient, when we were people who had been given to sin, we were slaves of sin, we were dead in sin, that God showed us His grace and His mercy and His kindness by saving us in His Son, Jesus Christ, so that now as Paul comes to kind of the end of that discussion at verse 7, here's the climax, so that being justified by His grace we will be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life, that we are justified before God. We stand right in God's sight according to His grace so that we could be heirs of all that God has promised to us, not only in this life, but in the one to come. This is who God is. He is a gracious and compassionate God. And Jonah knew that. But how much more should we know that Because here's the thing, as you think about this phrase in relation to Jonah, that Jonah obviously lived long before Jesus Christ went to the cross, and yet Jonah still knew this about God. That his God, the one he was running away from, yes, but he knew about God, truthfully, that God is a gracious and a compassionate God. And so I would ask us, how much more should we know? As we live on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, how much more should all of us know that our God is a gracious and compassionate God because all of us who are His children through His Son, Jesus Christ, we have all received His grace. We have all received His mercy. We know what kind of God we serve. But then finally, to really bring it back to Jonah and to bring it home for us, I want us to think about this question as we think about this phrase of God being a gracious and compassionate God Who is he that for? Is God's grace and compassion only for me if I am a child of God? That yes, I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been saved because God is a gracious and compassionate God. Or is his grace and compassion for other people as well? To me anyway, I think this question gets to the very heart of God's message to Jonah. But it also gets to the very heart of God's message to us as we not only read the book of Jonah, but as we read the entirety of Scripture. I want you to consider for just a moment, we're not going to go back and read all these passages again. Gavin's done a a good job of giving us an overview of the entire book of Jonah. But just to consider for a moment how God showed His grace and His mercy to Jonah here in this little four-chapter book. Number one, he appointed a great fish to swallow him. And we might think, well, that's the judgment of God. And perhaps I can, I think that there is something to be said for God's judgment there. But also God appointed this great fish to swallow Jonah and protecting him from the harsh sea environment that he would have been in. I see that as an act of compassion. I see that even as an act of grace on God's part to take care of his prophet. 
Number two, that as he is in the belly of that great fish in chapter two, we know that Jonah cries out to God, that he prays to God, that his heart is somewhat melted. And we, I think, are given the implication there that God heard and God answered his prayer from the belly of that fish. Number three, as we think about God showing grace and mercy to Jonah here in this little book, he commanded the fish to spit Jonah out on dry land. He could have just said, God could have said, well, you, you've made your bed, lie in it. You, you're going to die here in the belly of this fish, and, and that's the end of your earthly life. Or he could have commanded, I guess, the, the fish to spit him out into the sea, and he's not going to survive in that harsh environment very long. But I see here the grace and the compassion of God in commanding this fish, one of God's creation, to spit him out on dry land. And fourthly, as we come to the fourth chapter, I see God's grace and compassion by giving Jonah some shade, by appointing this plant or causing this plant to grow up over his head and to show his grace and his compassion to him. Yes, this is a very short book. It only took a few minutes to read it. But in this short book, we find that Jonah had definitely received God's grace and God's mercy the fact is, as our brother Gavin has already pointed out, it seems to me that Jonah was a man who did not want just anyone to receive God's grace and God's compassion. And especially he didn't want those ignorant, wicked enemies, the Assyrians that were living in Nineveh, to receive the grace and mercy of God. However, that's exactly on this occasion who God desired to show His grace and His mercy to them, even to them, and especially, I think, to them. In the book of Jonah, again, from chapter 4 at verse 10, as God has this conversation at the close of this book with Jonah, the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant which you did not work, uh, for, which you, for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have had compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals. I believe God was trying to bring Jonah to this particular point to see that he was having compassion on something that was inanimate, something that God created, sure, but something that didn't have a soul that's going to live somewhere eternally forever. And yet God is saying, you had compassion on this plant that I made to give you shade, and when it withered up, you felt something for that. And he's saying, how much greater should I have had, not have had compassion upon the people of Nineveh? James Smith, I use him from time to time on a variety of things in the wisdom literature, and he's written a book on the minor prophets, but he made this observation here that I think is really good for us to consider he said, in his abundant compassion, Yahweh looks for the slightest reason to delay judgment. His threats are actually a tool in his program to reach the hearts of people and lead them to his salvation. I think we see that, that truth being carried out all throughout the history of Israel, don't we? Yes, we do obviously see displays of God's wrath. Yes, we do find times when God punished his people for being disobedient and not trusting him and following after the gods of the peoples that were living around them. But sometimes those punishments and those judgments that God was making, even against his people, 
was a result of his grace and his compassion, his deep love for them, that he was trying to shake them. He was trying to get to their heart. He was trying to get them to repent and turn back to him. And I believe that's exactly what God's desire was here for these wicked Assyrians. He wanted to bring them to their knees, and they did come to their knees. And they repented, and God relented of the calamity that he said he would bring against them. This is certainly true for Jonah, that he was a recipient of God's mercy and grace. But I want us to think about each of ourselves for just a moment as we close our lesson. I want you to consider how good God, or how God has been and still is a gracious and a compassionate God to you. And the specifics of that, only you can answer. I don't know everything about your life. I can't read your heart as we began this morning by saying. But I'm sure if you think about it long enough, you can think of plenty of examples where God has been a gracious and a compassionate God to you. For all of us here in the audience this morning, I believe that we can see His grace and His compassion to us from the simple fact, as Paul stated there in Athens in Acts chapter 17, that it is God who is Lord of heaven and earth. It is God who has given us life and breath and all things. What we are here this morning, brothers and sisters, we are breathing. We are able to hear. We are able to see. We are able to experience life here on this earth all because God has given that to us. We can see evidence of God being a gracious and compassionate God by abundantly supply, uh, providing for all of our needs, by protecting us from harm. That doesn't mean that we have lived a charmed life, that we've never had to experience anything that was difficult, that we've never had to suffer at all. But even in those sufferings, I think if we think about it long and hard enough, we can see the grace and compassion of God there. And certainly for all of us who are Christians, God has been a gracious and compassionate God because he has given us every spiritual blessing that we enjoy in his son, Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed from our sins. We're no longer slaves to sins. We are slaves to righteousness now. We, we have been reconciled to God. We're no longer alienated from him. We're no longer people who are hostile to him. But now we have been reconciled to God. Now we are friends of God. We have received forgiveness as we've spoken of this morning through his son, Jesus Christ. We now have this great family that helps us to remember who God is. And we have that eternal inheritance of which we have been made heirs because we have been justified according to His grace. And yet sometimes I think we, myself included, like the prophet Jonah, we become angry and we become upset when God perhaps shows His grace and His compassion to people that we deem to be, quote, undeserving of such but especially maybe as we can relate more to Jonah when God wants me or you to be instruments of his grace and instruments of his mercy, just as he wanted Jonah to be, that we become angry about that. We say, why don't you pick someone else? I'm going to go over here and do this thing and you choose somebody else to do that. But here is the truth of the matter, brothers and sisters. We are all undeserving. Every last one of us who is sitting here this morning drawing God's breath. <laughs> we are all undeserving of God's grace and God's mercy. And yet, as we have said this morning already, because He is a gracious and He is a compassionate God, He shows us His grace and His mercy anyway. 
If we don't learn anything else from this little book of Jonah, if you don't get anything else out of the sermon this morning, I want us to learn this, that God is the God of all people. I just wonder in my own mind whether Jonah was thinking, yes, he is God, as he acknowledged back in chapter one when the sailors asked him, who who is your God? Where do you come from? What are you doing here? And he answered correctly about who God is. But I wonder if he was just thinking in his mind being a Jew that God is really the God of Jews. God is the God of Israel as he is described often in the Old Testament. But at least I see here in this book of Jonah that God is making the point to him and to us that no, God is the God of all people. That he shows grace and he shows compassion to all who will turn from sin to him. And all who will receive the deliverance and the forgiveness that he so graciously and freely offers us in his son, Jesus Christ. What about you this morning? All, everybody who's sitting here from the smallest, the youngest to the oldest, we have all been recipients of God's grace and mercy, whether we realize it or not. But not everyone in this audience this morning has made the decision to receive God's grace and God's mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. Would you make that decision this morning? If you've already decided in your mind, you just haven't acted on it, would you act on that this morning? I mean, there'd be a, not, not a better way for us to end this Sunday morning by rejoicing with you. If you have decided to become a Christian, you can make that known. Or if as a Christian you have walked away from God and, and you are still falling back into that old man, that old pattern, of being a slave to sin rather than a slave to God. We will rejoice with you and the angels in heaven will rejoice with you. Those wicked Ninevites repented and God took note of that. And God changed his mind about the destruction that was coming toward them. What about you this morning? Think about those things as we sing this song that Jesus is tenderly calling us. And if you need to respond to the invitation of our Lord, won't you do that now as we stand and as we sing?